All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Hey guys, Team Jones here. Summer is underway and we are excited about the camps we are doing this year. I'm hosting a cooking camp. And I'm hosting a confidence camp for girls. Head over to campjones.co for more info. Or to register. And we'll also put all that in the show notes. James's YouTube channel is also catching fire. We've even added the first two seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, which has opened us up to a totally new audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. Podcast. Thank you for your support, and thanks so much for being a part of our story. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And this is Haley Jones, and this is his story that is now a part of my story. I feel like the story just keeps going. <laughs> it's because we're still alive. <laughs> yes. Uh, it boggles my brain that when we started this whole thing about doing a podcast, I think we both thought there would be like maybe 10 episodes. We could possibly do 10 episodes and then that would be that. I honestly didn't know. I mean, I never even listened to a podcast, so... I hadn't either. I thought you had, you're the one that said, I think it was just like... I don't know what you said, but whatever you said is whatever I was like, okay, yeah, I guess how it's going it's to be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, and I do want do want to say that from the last episode about my mom, I really have yeah. appreciated all of the love and people, reaching you know, out. reaching out and listening and commentary and stories, and it's been, it's been heartwarming, mm-hmm. the outpour. Sounds dramatic, but you know what I mean. I, it really has meant a lot to me. Yeah, I mean that's been what three? It's been three years yet. A little over three years. Uh, April next year will be three years. I no, think. Nineteen twenty-two. This was three years. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it has been three years. But it's still hard for you some days. You know, missing your mom and. Yeah. Even still missing your dad and all that. Well, and I didn't even know that we were going to be recording that one, mm-hmm. like the week before or the few days before. And I had already been on the struggle bus for some reason. It felt heavier. Yeah. Leading up to. So it was it was hard. I didn't tell you on purpose because I want you to get in the funk. Yeah. Like thinking about, oh, we're going to have to. I wanted it to be like, I guess, fresh. Yeah. So, yeah. So another reason why I just want to say that I really appreciate the outpouring and just the... You know, the support. It's 
I guess it's therapeutic and healing to record it, but it also is hard because you really are it's putting painful. yourself back there. Well, when we first started, especially the first season, um, well, first two seasons, uh, when we got in parts where we were taping hard, the really hard parts, I got in a funk sometimes for weeks. Like, yeah. Especially season two and going to Donaldson and all that stuff. Like, it's it was a lot to process, but on the other side, it is, there is healing. Like, you see clarity and you see, wow, like God's hand has always been there. It's always taking care of what needs to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And um, it's good stuff. Yeah. So where are we going to start out today? Well, really in the middle of everything that was going on that we talked about last week with your mom, we had a lot going on, like, I guess, career-wise or ministry-wise, whatever you want to call it. Because when I took over the food service at the foundry, I think we both thought, you know, that's there's got to be more to it. You know, there's more of a reason for you to be working there than just that and, and drawing a paycheck. Yeah. Well, I always think like that. I mean, that's my mindset, like, for myself and then also, I guess, us since we've been married. I'm always like, oh, there's a reason for this. We're about to... <laughs> Yeah, she always, you, take over. There's purpose, a bigger purpose. Purpose. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of her things. She always, if it was especially if it was negative, well, there's there's purpose in this. She's got to wait and see what it is. Which that's one of the things I really appreciated about her. But uh, a couple years into working at the foundry, you know, I was doing the food service thing, feeding people, doing all the things. I guess it was around the year 2017 that I began the process of taking over the reentry program for the foundry, and that was basically when I started working there, I thought that's why I was supposed to be there. I think you did too. Well, when that became something that was a possibility or like the discussion was started, you know, there, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, And also the Highlands College thing. That wasn't hand in hand. Yeah. I think that you felt like, I mean, I did too. Like you starting that, you were learning so much. Mm-hmm. And remember you went into Highlands College, like they ask you what you want to do with it. I mean, you know better. Or like, yeah. What, well, what do you feel like you're say, supposed to do? Say what Highlands College is. I guess. You go ahead and say. It's, like Highlands College is not Bible school. Like you don't go there to learn how to break down Bibles and do all that stuff. They teach you how to do ministry, like real life, current relevant practical ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And once I decided that the reentry program was something I was supposed to be doing at the foundry, I went to the CEO, I told him, you know, this has been on my heart. And he said, well, why don't, instead of waiting, why don't we start the process now? Because the guy that had been running it for ever was older. He was getting ready to retire. And so he was about a year out from announcing his retirement. So, um, Mike Andrews, who was the CEO of the foundry at the time, thought it would be a good idea like to go ahead and start transitioning some of that stuff if that's the direction that I was headed in. He felt like it was the right move. I felt like it was the right move. I feel like I think everybody thought it was kind of a no-brainer that I should, you know, take over that program. Yeah. And so then going to Highlands College and how that all came to be, it just seemed to be very much equipping you for that next step. Yeah. When Now, going to school again was very difficult for me because was I, I was a 42, 43. It was very humbling. Um, honestly, I had three or four of my friends, uh, Robert Thompson, John Barry. They were all going. They were all enrolling in the evening program at Highlands College. 
and they had asked me. I'm like, I'm not doing all that. I'm not a little kid. You ain't got time for all that mess. But after, and we talked about this a few. You're so, you're so offensive. I don't think you can realize it because, like, they're doing it, and then you're like, I'm not a little kid. Kind of like I'm not a little kid like you. Yeah. No. No. I don't mean it <laughs> like that's that. A, that's you're doing it. That's how it was making me feel. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm gonna go back to high school, and I'm. In my forties, I just didn't feel like it was not something that I wanted to do. Do you think it was pride? Absolutely, or insecurity? Maybe, maybe more insecurity. Pride, pride insecurity, yeah. all the things. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. No, I know that now. Yeah, but at the time, I was just thinking that's not something I need to do. But then um, that serve day in 2016, yeah, happened. that we talked about, yeah, that just changed my mind about everything. Like whatever, these are crazy people. Whatever they're doing. I mean, crazy in a good way, then I, I think I should be doing it too. Mm-hmm. So I signed up and um, it's not easy to go back to school, I don't think, when you're older in any scenario. But Highlands College was pretty much ran by all the little little young people. <laughs> so He's go, talking about in their early 20s. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you're going in there and it's like you're getting... I don't know. It was very humble. You're getting told what to do. Yeah. By 20-year-olds. By these little kids that don't have any life experience. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, uh, once I made the commitment, I knew it was what I was supposed to do. And I just pushed through Mm. um, and did it. Even though that's home, it was humbling. So I do appreciate that about you because even though you can do some real like smack talk on the beat, well, a lot about a lot <laughs> what of do you things. Mean? Well, like for example, when they wanted you to do Holland's College, yeah. and you're like, no, I'm not doing all that. I'm not a little kid. I'm not a lot. I don't need all that. <laughs> and then like whatever happens, I mean, I guess that the Lord speaks to you or something that you realize this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Whatever that thing is at the time yeah. that you commit to it and you're all in like there's... No turning back. No, once I make <laughs> up my mind back. about something, um, I do it. So anyway, but yeah, it is. Um, I remember that because you did have, and also the Highlands College, it's ministry training, but they do like the physical body too. Like they're focused on all aspects <laughs> of like being healthy, I guess. Well, say what like, that is. And so, well, I mean, I don't remember as much as well, you I'll did. Well, I'll say it. Yeah, but you say. had to do... They have a lot that they do. Like you had to do like so many workouts a week or something. Yeah, you sign up. You have to be. You have to be. They want you to be physically healthy, spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, which are all good things. Right. I mean, yeah. But they're basically saying if you if you're not healthy in all your life circles, then you're not going to be effective at trying to help other people, which I agree with. But at that time, how much did I? I think I was three hundred nine pounds. I was. I was struggling. Yeah. I remember the first night of Highlands College, like climbing all them steps after been working all day. It was rough. Yeah. <laughs> but they wanted you to do a um, three workouts a week, and then you had to... Thing, Log them. Yeah, it was a thing called Populi where you got all your assignments and your tests and did all stuff yeah. online. But you had to do three workouts a week, and then you had to serve on Sundays. It was a lot. It was a very lot. Well, and it's a lot. Let me just, like, qualify that, too, because it's a lot, especially, like, you and your friends who did it, who are grown men with families, like new babies, in your case, and full-time jobs. Our boys were born right when I started. So we had newborns, Highlands College, full-time job, all of stuff. Yeah, so it's on top of, like, regular life responsibilities. It's yeah. not like you're in college just going to school for a lot of people. Yeah, it was uh it was a lot <laughs> it was a lot different. But uh I put down as my workout one week, you know, you had to do three. And they just tell you, you know, tell the truth, don't lie. 
I put down, I cut the grass as a workout. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy that was over that part of Hans College that would um, make sure you did your stuff, he he was, he looked like he was 12 years old. His name was Seth Hand. He looked like he was 12. And I met him a couple times. I knew he was the one doing all that. And he sent me this message and told me, uh, Mr. Jones, uh, cutting the grass is not considered a workout. That's something... (laughs) That's something that you already do. That's just part of everyday life. And I remember getting so, I was like, I was so offended. I was like, little boy, I will come to Highlands College and take you in the room. (laughs) And it offended me, but just for a minute, because it convicted me. It made me think, all right, I don't want people to be able to say I'm lazy or overweight or, you know, at the same time, I just went to the doctor and looked up on the screen that said morbid obesity. And I said, why would you write that about me? And she said, I didn't write nothing about you, James. If you want to be different, you need to do something different. We just put in the facts and then the computer called you that. I didn't call you that. So if you don't want to say that, you need to do something different. <laughs> so it was between that, working out, diet, all the things that uh, really spurred me on, caused me to do something different. But you really started that beginning of 2018. I did the keto stuff. You want to talk about? Oh yeah. Well, let's come back to that. But I have to say too, there is something about, especially with your personality yeah. and mine too. I mean, but like so, when well, someone well. calls you out, especially someone you're like, <laughs> "Who are you? And what do you think?" I yeah. mean, we both have that tendency. I think because yeah. we're like a little bit <laughs> dominant. And then on the on top of the fact that, you know, it's a younger guy that you feel like, which now you've grown to love and respect. So. Oh, yeah. He's one of my favorite people. Now. Yeah. So, but it was just, I mean, I totally get your reaction. Like I can relate <laughs> to it, but I feel like that's part of, especially for the night program, like what you did. Yeah. Like all that is part of the process of like learning, like, I don't know, learning to like receive things from people, yeah. even if you don't feel like they're worthy to give it to you in form of a, well, I don't know, for me anyway. That's I used what to I have saw. a problem with people, specifically like older men and women in, in church, church world, in the Jesus world, is that when they get older, they get boring. And they get that, boring? Yeah, like, I'm, okay, we know about all that responsibility and all the things, you know, why do I keep talking about it? <laughs> But I think it's because they don't look back to younger the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And for me, my experience with Highlands College helped me understand you don't you're always looking for somebody older than you, but now you're fixing to be the older one. So you right. need to like you need if you want to be relevant, you gotta you know, you gotta involve people with different lenses. Yeah. Absolutely. And the younger generation, I mean they know what's really happening in the world. Right, right. <laughs> so it was a good It's it funny because I do think about that time. You know, I've always taken on positions just with my personality, what we're talking about, of like leadership and the young one in leadership. And I think it was around the same time that it was just this epiphany of like, I'm not the young one anymore. (laughs) Like there's people that are adults that are younger than me. (laughs) I think we both got that around the same time. Yeah. (laughs) How did this happen? Right. You know, I'm always looking for older, you know, looking to the older generation, but now it's like. I are the older generation. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do ourselves? So, but it, it it ended up being a really good um, process for me. Well, you actually, I mean, it was the Seth Hand um, challenging me about my workout, and then you started doing this new thing called 
keto diet around that time? Yeah. So I started this. And I thought it was a crazy. Okay. I think I started it because my brother was doing it. Yeah. And he was seeing results. Like and he was. Big yeah. time results. Good stuff was happening. And so he was just like, well, I'll give you like the notebook that I did and like what I'm like, okay. So I like started reading it all. And then I decided to... You started it without telling me that. Right, exactly. Very purposefully. But you told me all of a sudden you was going to start cooking dinner. Because I didn't want you to be like, that's not going to work. Like, all the negativity, I'm like, I can't take it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And so... But then the first night I came home of your new journey of cooking dinner... You cook turkey burgers with eggs. I mean, when you say journey of cooking dinner. <laughs> no, that was, you said, I'm going to start cooking dinner every night. And I said, you are? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was trying to find a way to like, I'm just going to do it. And like, you know, still like I can maybe even help, you know, because you like, yeah. like we just talked about, you were working full time and then going to school. Like, yeah, it was a lot. It was like a full time. So, um but it wasn't until about the third night where I realized something's weird. Like the first night you fed me turkey burgers with eggs and you looked like you were trying to turn it into a hamburger. Then the second night you cooked me avocado stuffed with chicken salad or something. I was like, if you're on some kind of weird diet, I need, you need to, at least need to tell me because this ain't, this ain't making no sense what's happening here. So when you told me that you had started the keto with Hobie, I was pissed. Pissed, pissed, pissed. No, you just like just I'm your like, husband. We live in the house together. You lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> you lied to me. Yes, you uh, did. How can I trust you with anything when you start this keto diet without telling me? <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> no, but now I can understand why you were trying to do something different. Um, just because I was negative. I feel like everything I tried, nothing worked. And I'd been, you know, cooking in the kitchen all my life where I was always active, always. And then I could eat whatever I wanted. But most of my time at the foundry was spent sitting behind a desk, which just. Uh, yeah, that's true. I do think that made a difference. It was different. It wasn't as like much physical labor going on. Yeah, nothing so, was working. Nothing yeah. I tried was working. Everything was not working. So, um, so yeah, so I did that. And then, I mean, honestly, I, I, I didn't do it for that long, but I did it long enough to see some results. I mean, maybe you remember better than I do. You did it for about a month and a half and you were seeing results. But like the, pretty significant. Goodness. And I was not just, I mean, yes, I was losing weight, but I also was like feeling incredible. Yeah, and you were. I mean, I remember thinking when I really got into it, like my body got into ketosis I mean, it was crazy to think I have, like, two twin babies. And I thought, I couldn't take a nap right now if I wanted to. Like, that's how much, energy. like, energy, like, I had. Yeah, um, I mean, and I love naps. Like, I could force myself into a nap. But then I was just like, I don't even. So it was crazy. But honestly, I think you. Well, you did it for about a month and a half. You were seeing good results. But you and I have kept having conflict. You couldn't get I, I was annoyed. From with my it. opinion, you couldn't get past the fact that I started without telling you. Yeah, it was up. I was yeah. offended, so I quit. But no, it was that. But plus, you also missed your wine because you couldn't drink wine. Well, I did miss wine. I mean, that's <laughs> will always be true, no matter what. So I mean, so it was, but you did, and then about two weeks later, you you sat down, you sat me down, you're like, look, I really want to do this. It was the only thing I've done in years that was helping me. Can you just commit to it? And and just let's just just do it. And I said, I don't believe in fad diets. They're, they come and go. I've tried them; they don't work. They work for me, then they don't work. 
And then you said, well, this one's different. I said, I'll tell you what. I got a doctor's appointment coming up next week. I got a physical. I will ask my doctor, and if she tells me to do it, I'll do it. But I was fully expecting her to say, no, we don't do all that. (laughs) But then when I went to the doctor, I asked her. She said, I'm supposed to tell you not to do that because it's not something that we recognize right now. But I think you need something to boost your metabolism or shake you up. You need to do something. Do it for eight weeks and then come back and we'll see what happens. And so I was like, well, that wasn't what I was looking for, but (laughs) she pushed me over the ledge. Yeah. I mean, you even made like videos making fun of it. I did because <laughs> it was so so stupid. If you don't know what the keto diet is, it's basically you cut out all sugar and all carbs. Mm-hmm. So no bread, no sugar, no wheat, no all the good stuff. And I just couldn't get my head around it. But once I started, you know, I commit to something, I do it. Um, I did it. Yeah, and you lost weight. I I did more than lose weight. It was. I think it was the first two months I lost like 75 pounds, but my, I got my energy back. Like my, that fog that I would have in the afternoons where I'd have to drink coffee, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And so I became a big, huge proponent of that. Not as a, like doing it all the time, but doing it to get some results and then staying with the low carb, low sugar diet, which has worked out good. Yeah. I mean, you have been on and off it. And also I think just seeing the like, Low carb, no carb, whatever, or not no carb, but very yeah. low carb diet yeah. has helped a lot of ways with a lot of things. Yeah. And there's a lot of that I took from that. Like um, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, that was when they were telling you not to eat fat, like fat's killing you. But come to find out, that's we need fat. That's why we got so fat during that time, eating all that processed food and all that yeah. stuff. So. And in the meantime, I've been struggling ever since, so... Glad you've been successful. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. You know I have. But I kept doing it, though. I know. But it's basically the bottom line, the, the keto diet is you get in, into ketosis where your body burns glucose, which comes from sugar or carbs, as fuel. You start burning ketones, which is just takes you to a different level. And it's hard in the beginning. I remember the first week I did it, I thought I was going to die, but I just kept going. Yeah. And... um then basically you get to a place where you start, if you do eat too many carbs, you like pee it off or something. We're getting too deep into this, you know, so yeah. leave all that out. But anyways, it was very successful. It gave me, I feel like it gave me my health back. Yeah, oh, it ways. did for sure. Because I was heading, uh, I was in bad shape physically. Yeah. Just like my knees hurt all the time. Uh, going through house calls, it was humbling. But after I got over, I was like, I'm here for a purpose. My purpose was to learn how to do ministry in a way that brought results, and they know how to do that. And really, I started on day one, the stuff that I would learn one week, I would apply to what we're trying to do to the Fat the Foundry the next week. I actually got criticized by the current director of the reentry program. One one email he blasted me was, you can't go to school on Tuesday and come in on Wednesday and try to change the world. <laughs> but, I mean, he was old and set in his ways and um, just... If we're keeping it real, there was a lot of corruption in what was going on at the foundry in that portion of it at the time. And when I came in to try to do programming, it kind of shined a light on it. And that caused a lot of, how you say, friction or controversy. So are we going down that road now? When I first started working with the guy that ran the reentry at the foundry, 
I was like hopeful. I mean, this was a person that I'd known for like 10, 12 years. I went to church with him and his wife and his family. But I didn't realize like in nonprofits and in ministries, like the level of corruption that was there, the things that were going on, the things that were being allowed to go on really like shocked me. And I knew it was something that I didn't. Did it though? Yes. Because, I mean, since then, I just know we've had discussions about, like, in that world, like, in the reentry world, the prison world, like, there's just, even like we've talked about in the last episodes, like, when you were, like, in prison, like, within the system, there's so much corruption. There was. And is. So, yeah. But you think, like, in church organizations or in... An organization that Pastor Bill founded that maybe you wouldn't find all that. I guess it's just easy to take advantage of those people that need help. It is. Or that are like desperate, like you're their only or what they think is their only yeah. way to get to the next step or next thing. Well, that's that's more talking about the drug program, some of the stuff we've saw through that. But this was specifically they had started a some kind of deal where they would go to the parole board for you. Mm-hmm. from the foundry, the guy that ran the reentry program. And it was basically being billed in prison as if you give that man $500, he'll go pro board and make pro and go to the foundry. And it was turning into quite a corrupt operation mm-hmm. from what I could see. And there was something in the beginning when I first started working with him that he was like trying to hold back. And I realized it was that. And I was like, I'm never going to do that. Like, I don't have time to go to Montgomery and go to pro board. I mean, I'm not going to do that. I'll do it if I feel like I'm supposed to. Well, let's be clear, because I feel like this is not clear. Yeah. People were paying him yeah. to go to the board to lobby or yeah. where do you want to use? Lobby Pretty for much. them to get out on parole. And come to the family. So they would pay him them cash under the table. Is that right? Yeah. It was like a fee. Yeah, a fee that was it, like a made-up-by-him fee. Well, they, they were calling it a blessing, you know, take care of my tires and my gas money and stuff like that. Oh, so they pay the expenses <laughs> of me going, essentially. By the time, I just want to be clear because I feel like this is the thing is it yeah, never gets it. defined. You know what I mean? Like, so one guy who's working this reentry yeah. says, you pay me $500 for my expenses, and I'm doing quote air quotes here, <laughs> yeah. for my expenses to go drive... Because I run this program, I have credibility, yeah. and I can tell them that you think you need par- should get out on parole, yeah. and then I get you out, and then... Oh, no, you pay the fee whether you get out or not. Okay. Just so for you, him to go. Just for him to go and, like, lobby and write the letter or yeah. whatever. And so it is a service, I guess, so you could count it as, like, it's a service. Yes. But it's a lot of times, and in this case, what you're saying is, and this is a question, even though I'm sounding like I'm making a statement, yeah. is that it's, like, you just pay him cash. Pretty much. Under the table. Yeah, it was correct. It's not like, yeah, okay. But by this time, in the beginning, you know, they were charging five, six, seven hundred dollars to people. You know, it was just whatever you want to bless them, you know, whatever. But by this time... Uh, <laughs> I love how you still use the word. Whatever you want to bless them. Because that's what they say. That's what they would say. You'll get a blessing. Like, you know what? Well, see, I was going to feel like, you know, like, if you pay me, I'll do it. I feel like that to me is yeah, more like honest. direct, straightforward. Like, but what ended up <laughs> happening through that process, the Foundry made it part of their program had it in writing and it was a flat thing and they, it became where that part of it but it was still corrupt you know you go i'm gonna go down here and do 10 parole hearings today <laughs> how much money is that times 300 yeah 
I'm, but I guess I'm just trying to see if it. You're saying it's corrupt, and I believe you. You know more about the system, but it was. Corrupt. How is it different than us? Me saying, "I'm gonna give you a coaching session for an hour and a half, and you pay me for it." Maybe it's not. I mean, because you're not in prison. You're not telling that to people in prison. You're not yeah. telling them you're going to give them their freedom for mm. this three hundred. I don't know. I didn't like it. It didn't feel right to you. It was, but then it caused me to go digging around. There was more stuff, and it just seemed like the more doors I opened, the worse, the more corruption came, and then it became this big conflict, and it was just ended up being a, a bad situation. Yeah, and it was one of those situations where, all right, you're shining a light on something that, like, the executives didn't want the light. Like, we don't want to deal with that right now. We ain't got time for that. They didn't want to know. And then it became conflict with me and my direct supervisor, the chief program officer. He didn't want to know what was going on. Why don't you think they wanted to know? Because if they knew what was going on, then they'd have to deal with it. He didn't want to have to deal with it. His saying was, let's just don't, let's don't upset the apple cart right now. We're doing other things. And I'm like, no, you're doing other things. I'm doing this. And sometimes the apple cart has to be upset if you want it to be better. I mean, doesn't it? But there were many things during that time... And I'm a little more emotionally mature now because of that process, I think. But they definitely didn't want it brought out. I mean, it was, uh, they didn't want it brought out. Well, I guess it's like kind of complicated, kind of sticky. And also you have people in place doing a job that it might disrupt that. If you, if it comes to light, you have to fire them or you have to like, once you know something, you you can't unknow it. So you got to do something about it, right? I guess is the... So in the beginning, I was turned off. I was just totally turned off by all the corruption. I wanted to clean it up. I had one main focus, though. Like when I got ready to do it, we were going to end sale and parole hearings. We're, this wasn't going to happen. We're going to have to we have to come up with a different process for this because it it looks corrupt. It sounds corrupt. And from what I would hear from guys in prison, you know, it was hey, just give that man. Get your people to send him a check, he'll get you out. And mm-hmm. that's that. It shouldn't be like that. Right. So, but at the same time, the current reentry program, there was no process, no program. There was very little accountability. There wasn't a lot going on. So we went to work. We created a program. We created a process. And I was doing all that stuff through the stuff that I was learning in Highlands College. Um, it started off, it was me and Gilbert and uh, Graham and a couple other people at the foundry that were trying to reimplement. And build this program in the beginning. Uh, the current guy was trying to help, but he would always get his feelings hurt or, you know, he would say, Oh yeah, let's do that. And then he would go home and write this email attacking me. And it got to the end of it. I was just, it was exhausting. I remember being at Lula's, it was her third birthday party. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. 
For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms, and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. Was this before or after the boys? No, this must have been after. Yes, yeah. it would have been after. She was two and a half when they were born. So, yeah. When it was her third birthday party, I remember something that happened. We had gotten into it about over all this nonsense. And I remember being at her Wait, party. who's we got into it? Me and the guy that ran the reentry okay. program. I mean, when I say got into it, I mean where he told me, what did he tell me? I was in his office, and he told me to be quiet or told me to do something. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, oh, you will do that. And I said, well, who are you talking to? Because, I mean, you don't talk to me like you talk to everybody else. I'm not, I don't respond. We're equals. And he said, I'll talk to you any way I want to talk to you. And I said, well, we'll see how that works works out for you because I won't do right now. I'm helping you. I'm basically working two jobs. Or feeling two roles at the foundry and still getting, you know, paid to do one. But uh, he, like, jumped up. And this is a little man, even if he was... He, like, jumped up from behind his desk and said he was going to come around his desk. I said, if you come around the desk, you better be ready for Oh, I remember this. I remember this. Because I don't care. You, go on, come around the little desk, and then this we'll see This is the guy going. that you've been friends with for a while, too. Yes. Uh, yeah. And he was old enough to be my dad. So we... We had some history. It was uh, most of it was good. Well, let me break this down. Yeah, because I feel like all all the things you just said, what it boils down to, because I know you, is that like you started to lose respect for this guy. Oh yeah, I didn't have any because left. of the things you were seeing, and your personality, especially in particular, I think struggles with. You see things that feel like are not right or on the up and up and then someone's doing it intentionally or like go intentionally so you just I think struggled having any kind of you're having respect for him and so then when he's trying to tell you something or come at you you were like I'm not having it because I don't well it wasn't just a respect thing he was uh, I didn't have any respect for him by this point but he was also mad at me like I was the one coming in starting stuff all the time in his eyes. By starting stuff, upsetting the apple cart because you were seeing things and then saying, yeah. what is this? This Just seems basic corrupt. Stuff. Nothing, nothing big. Basic stuff like, hey, let's have a process. Hey, let's have some accountability. Hey, let's make sure, you know, we got a program. Hey, let's make sure when we have classes, everybody goes to class. Because, because you were looking at it as something that you were going to be running, so it's like you were already trying to starting to implement some things. Yeah. Yeah. And that had already been agreed upon us, how we're, that yeah. was the direction that we were headed in but the way he worked you know there's 60 guys there all the guys were bound or whatever all the guys had to take part in the program while they were there for six months but like some of the people that were closer to him that were doing little favors and stuff for him he would try to let them not go to class or not meet the benchmarks and I just wasn't having that like if we're going to do it for one we're going to do it for everybody Mm -hmm. and that's too much like Prison. I mean, it sounds like prison. And honestly, 
I believed that if you could create the right program and the right process, then you could have great, phenomenal results. I mean, look at what Pastor Bill did with the drug program. Well, I think that's true across the board. Okay, so y'all all literally almost came to blows. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we got it. We got into it, and then I've refused the website. I'm not working with him anymore. So the guy that was our direct report, who's a very passive individual, that just you know he was. Uh, I would probably call him like he's like a bureaucrat, somebody who would sit with his computer and make up stuff all the time but never do anything. So, <laughs> no, I mean, this is sounds real. so awful. Okay, but listen. This is real-time, real-life stuff happening. Before We're, we get to the direct report, I do. it yeah. just hit my mind that I feel like it's worth mentioning. What? That this guy that you almost came to blows with, that you're like, we're equals now and you were, you know, going to be taken off the program. Yeah. He's one that even you knew when you were in prison. No, I didn't know him in prison. Oh, you didn't know him in prison. Okay, never mind. I knew him. He had been in, he'd been in prison. Like right. His background was he, he spent like 20 oh, years Oh, I thought in he knew you when you were in prison. Okay. Sorry, no. Go ahead. I didn't, know, I didn't know him in prison, but okay. I knew him right out of prison. He was a friend of Steve's. I mean, he had been a part of my world for... Long time. At least 10, 12, 13, 14 years. Yeah. I knew his family. I knew his... Everybody. Yeah, you already mentioned it, yeah. So it was just... Uh, once that came to a head, I told, I said, you just have to wait on him to retire and then we'll do whatever. Um, Who said you have to wait on him to retire? I said that. Oh. I said I can't work with him. Mm. So the guy that was our direct report got us in the office and wanted us to talk. And I was like, I don't have anything to say. I didn't do anything wrong. I've been doing this for, by this time I've been doing it for over a year. And he was like, well, I started to bring some water and have y'all wash each other's feet. Um. <laughs> So I said, well, I'm glad uh, that you didn't do I'm not washing his feet, and that's not even what that means. I mean, <laughs> we can do all this religious mumbo-jumbo stuff, but the, the bottom line is is that there's some corruption going on that you refuse to address, and he's attacking me because I'm addressing something that you haven't addressed that I have to address if I'm going to do it. If not, I'm just not going to do it. So, so what was the direct reports? <laughs> Response to that? He had a hard time with me, and I had a hard time with him. I think if he could have not worked with me and got rid of me, he would have. At that point, you mean? Any point. Yeah. But at the same time, some of the stuff that I was doing was bringing phenomenal results. So, and, you know, Pastor Bill was still around. He was one of my people. He just found himself in a conflict, I guess. So... People are wanting to know what happened after that. You're not really... Oh, is that what you asked? Yeah. I refused to work with him after that. So it became a thing where, all right, James is working... (laughs) James is running one part of the reentry program, not the other part for now. And I kept doing the food service, you know, all the stuff that I was doing. And I basically took over... Being um, being in charge of their process for the first six weeks that they were there, which meant they were going to work with me. Um, we had classes. We did um, some uh, some programming that we came up with, notebooks, where they learn how to do resumes, and we connect them in small groups to people to find jobs and all these things. So after that, it became I got them for the first six weeks, and then he got them for the rest of the time until they graduate, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But we never really... Um, resolved our conflict after that like I didn't want to work with him anymore I didn't trust him so where do you go from here then in your mind when you felt like you were going to be taken over the re-entry and were working towards that and trying to implement things and then this thing came to blows and then you kind of split it up like in your mind where were you at then well it became 
a waiting game for him to retire? Yeah. Well, no, I dig in when oh. I know I'm doing. When I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, I know. I dug my heels in and <laughs> said, "I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care who you tell. If I'm going to continue going forward, I'm going to continue going forward in the right way." And at the same time, I was still in Highlands College. I was still learning stuff. Um, the second year, we learned more really than we did the first year about practical hands-on. This is how you get the job done type of stuff. I just didn't back down. And I, after that, I was like, how would you say that? Like once you cross a certain line with me, like there's no gray areas anymore. Like this is going to be black and white from here on out. And I think that lasted uh, two or three months and then he announced his retirement. So I'm not saying I did, had anything to do with that. But everybody knew it was coming, and then well, mind where you, do we he, go he from was here? In, he was in his sixties. So. <laughs> where do we go from here? He was, yeah, and so, he was older. Yeah. And you know, he had been doing that all his since he'd been up, you know, twenty, thirty years. You get burnout during ministry. I understand that. I get that. Yeah. But in the meantime, we created a program. We created a process. I fought to keep us integrity. I recruited and got a lot of help from other staff people, other departments at the foundry, uh, specifically Graham Bufford, who did the. Um, aftercare portion of the foundry process. You know, he started coming in helping me with the reentry guys. Somewhere during that, um, I was just, you know, I was learning. I was down, I had six months left of Highlands College to go. Uh, he announced his retirement would be at the end of the year. The only thing they asked me at the foundry was to honor him because he'd been there so long and throw him a party and do all stuff. So I did all that. So December of 2017, they told me, you know, you got to go through HR. You have to formally ask. We have to post it. You have to formally ask. And when they posted it, when I formally okay, a- you have to formally ask for the position as the reentry director. Yes. Yeah. That's what we're about. Yeah. But my thing was the program that we're building doesn't exist yet because I was trying to combine the reentry and the food service director into one deal. Like I didn't want to just go sit in the office up at reentry. I wanted to keep doing what we're doing with the food service and that be part of the program. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I forget how he told me to do it. It was the guy that was my direct report was like, okay, no, you have to say that you're going to quit your job. You're going to change positions. So I said, I'm not changing positions. I'm not going to stop being the food service director to go be the reentry director. So it got complicated and there was a lot of back and forth between me and him. And it was during this time that I like had to run it like for three weeks by myself. And up until this point, I'd never been, like, on my own with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes like, sense. Like, you don't know You're what you... are going back to asking if it makes sense. Every, <laughs> I remember you used to say that a lot. Well, you don't know what you know. Well, you don't know what you don't know until you get in there, and then you just realize, I don't know any of this stuff. Right. So there became, like, this uh, outbreak of people doing heroin in Bessemer. Uh, I don't know how those outbreaks happen that gets available or whatever. But, I mean, the guys in the the men's program were dropping like flies because of heroin. People were testing positive for heroin. There was a kid. Which that, is separate than the reentry program. Yeah, but they all live on the same campus. Okay, yeah. They just don't live in this. Like, they eat together. They yeah. work out, you know, go to church, do all things together. Um, there was a kid that everybody knew that he was doing heroin. And every time I gave him a piss test or a pee test or urine test, he came up negative. So I didn't know, you know, what do you do? Like, like you knew he was do, do, using heroin, but it, you couldn't catch him. Yeah. 
Okay. Like he kept, if you don't have a positive urine test, you can't do anything about Prove it. Prove it, yeah. So it was during this time that I was trying to get advice from people that had been doing this forever. Up until this point, I didn't give urine tests. Like if I had to give one, Gilbert did it. He was like used to doing that. Like you just, he would line people up and they would pee in a cup and make sure, you know, all the things. So I couldn't figure out why we couldn't get this guy, get the truth about this guy. I mean, I went out to get him. He was a good kid, but he obviously had a problem. Um, they said, oh, no, you got to look at his dick. Did you look at his dick? And I was like, what? Gosh, it sounds so. Now, this was what they told dick. me. Yeah. Like, you got to. Well, that was what the the look on my face. Like, no, you got to look at that dick. And I was like, I ain't looking at dick. That's not why I'm here. But I thought, okay, if this is what you have to do, so I have to do. So I got him in the bathroom. I said, I got to go in there with you. And the whole, he respected me. I mean, he was he was only like 21, but he was obviously strung out. So he went to use the bathroom, and I said, no, you got to turn around. You got to show me. You got to do it like that. And when he went to turn around, I could see the look of shame on his face. And I said, before you do that, you're humiliating me by making me do this. Like, I don't want to do this. And I'm humiliating you by making you do this. So why don't you just tell me the truth? If you're using, I can get you some help. I can get you what you need, but you can't, you got to be honest with me. He told me the truth. He's been strung on heroin. He had this thing in his pocket full of other people's pee that he would pour in the pickup. And anyways, we got him the help he needed. No, but I think it saved his life. We got him the help that he needed and, you know, that was over with. But after that, I knew Jesus did not save me and redeem me and set me free and give me a new life for me to be standing in bathrooms looking at wieners. I just, I can't. Okay. This is not my life. I mean, I'm not looking at dicks. I'm not doing that. Okay, let me be your interpreter for a minute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was obviously a pivotal situation for you. It was you, hard. That you realize that that's not where you're supposed to be doing yeah. what you're supposed to be doing. Hold on. But there's some people that have that job that it's important. Well, it's not a big deal to them. Right. It was a big deal to me. Right. Like so that, it's not like you're better than No, I don't else. think that at all. I know, but some, a little bit the way you come off can sound like that. I think I'm more I saying... I know you don't mean that, but I'm just saying how... Well, no, I know other people that work at the foundry, people that give your intent. Like Mr. Gilbert, he didn't care. It didn't bother him. It bothered me. I don't... I didn't sign up for that, but but I'm like that about any kind of fluids, like if it's blood or urine or throw up or anything, like that's just not... Yeah, I know. I think just the main point that I want to get to is that for whatever reason, that situation yeah. was a turning point for you. Yeah, I knew that was Of like a to. mind shift of like, maybe what I thought I was supposed to do and run is not what I'm supposed to be doing and running. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't think that meant I was better than. No, no, I know. Just I know that, but I'm just. I'm not fine. supposed to. Right. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was about, this was December 2017. It was about two weeks later where I had to come to you and say, I feel like Jesus told me that I was not supposed to take that job. Right. But you had some responses. Well, you probably remember my, you know how I am. I like. I remember thinking, like, well, that's kind of crazy because it feels like what you've been, like, working towards. <laughs> the last 18 this whole months. Time and all you've talked about <laughs> and kind of fought for, like, in a good way, like the yeah. reformer type of way. And so, I don't, I mean, I never, like, I don't remember thinking I didn't believe you. It was just very confusing. Yeah. 
because you have been walking through this process and having for 18 months, just like my coaching, like even though we live together and we talked a lot, there's still like so many things that you're thinking and emotions like throughout the day and experience and process that are not voiced. So you get to a certain place in your mind and I haven't heard all the things and been in your mind. So then you express <laughs> like, this is what I'm not going to, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be. I mean, it took me a minute to catch up and yeah. to like ask the questions of understanding how you got there. Well, I just got to a place where it wasn't about me anymore. I felt like Jesus said, I just need you to say no to that. Like, take your name out of the hat. And it was confusing. For the job, right. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of hurt my feelings because I was like, well, I've been doing this last year and a half. Like, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? But through the process of that, I realized I had been doing it for a purpose because now they had a program. Like, there was a reentry program that they had that they could hire somebody, hand it off to them, and it could be successful, and it wouldn't be me. Yeah. Which, by that time, I was fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> with, it not, with it not being me. Mm-hmm. Um, the harder part was explaining that to other people, like the people I've been working with, explaining it to Mr. Gilbert, who had been working closely with me on that. Um the guy that was my direct report, he was very upset, thought maybe I was trying to hold out for something else. And I was like, I'm not trying to hold out for anything. I'm telling you, I'm not supposed to do this. Um, I was in a director's meeting in January 2018, and Pastor Mark was the guy that was over all the counselors. And he actually pastors a church, someone that I have great respect for. But I remember him coming to me and like, I think you're not hearing from God on this, brother. Because who in their right mind, if they had a reentry program, wouldn't just hand you the keys to it? I think, I think you're missing something. And I remember struggling with that, praying through it, and just knowing this is not what I'm supposed to do, so it's not what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then they hired somebody, and it, you know, it went on from there. But then um, my struggle with that was I had another half of a three or four months of Highlands College to go. Like, well, if I'm not going to do the reentry, why do I need to finish this Highlands College deal? Mm-hmm. Like, if that's not what I'm doing, that's what I was going for. Like, why do I need to finish? This is very much your, like, black and white thinking. Yeah. Like, if I'm not doing this, then why, where's, like... <laughs> well, I mean, the Highlands College thing was a huge sacrifice. I mean, it was, you know, one full night of my week, and I had young kids, and then I had to work all day on Sundays. It was, oh, and uh, then homework, like writing papers, and then, yeah, it was... Yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, now I guess it's easy for me to say because it's hindsight's twenty twenty. but it's just like there was so much more learning and, like, growing and development in that program. So much bigger and so much more than just for, as we can see it now, that yeah. small reentry program that ended up not being what you were supposed to do. Yeah, so. but I mean, I learned a lot during the process. I got to work with a lot of people, and a lot of the lessons I learned during that time I used to this day. Yeah. But I met with uh, one of my teachers at Highlands College. Her name was Gina Cox. She was, um, I think she still is a, like a corporate attorney. But uh, anyway, she's a teacher, one of the instructors there. Most people don't like her because she's very direct and she don't play games. She was like the teacher they said, oh, she got Gina's class. I actually liked her class best of all because you didn't have to try to figure it out. You just did what she told you to do, and then you're over with. But so I thought she would be somebody that could I could talk to that could shoot straight. So I went in, sat down, told her my story about reentry and all stuff. And she was um, basically said, 
did Jesus tell you to come to Highlands College to do reentry? And I said, I thought he did. And she said, have we ever told you that's the only thing you could do is reentry? And I said, no. And she said, it sounds like you did this. You've dug yourself a hole of this reentry stuff. Why would you quit now when you're at the, right at the finish line? And I said, because I don't have anything to use it for. And she said, you don't know what God will do with this. So why don't you just uh, graduate, do an internship, and then just figure it out? <laughs> so That's what you did. Yeah. So that was a real crossroads then, just like mentally. Yeah. Kind of like a shift of... And for you, I know we go back to this, but I do think it's important because you do get so dead set in well, like I'll, what is your greatest strength that we talked about before. Like, so like yeah. when you commit to it, like you're going to do it and there's like no yeah. turning back. But sometimes almost to a detriment, like, and I think it's very hard for you to like get to that new headspace when in this case, the Lord told you like, you know, lay that down, take your name out of the hat. That's not what you're going to do. It's, it's not, not what I, I want you to do. It takes you a little bit to like adjust your your mind to that well, and to I, like accept it. I feel like I always want to know what's next and I always want to know what I'm doing and I want it to matter. And But I've learned you don't always know. And mm-hmm. you can think, obviously, in this process, I went through an 18-month process of thinking I was going in one direction to get right to the end of it and find out, no, we're going another direction. Right. So there was a month or so where I was confused but I was also kind of relieved because I was tired of fighting. Right. That. But we had, you know, if a number one on the Enneagram as a reformer, we had reformed that program and cleaned it up. Right. Um, but there was there was some confusion in, like, telling people. Because, I mean, this had, I've really consumed my whole life with this for the past 18 months. So it was it was hard. So where do we go from here? Well, I graduated Highlands College. Um, there's a thing where they want you to go on a missions trip, and I hadn't been on a missions trip simply. Really, the big part of it was because you've been pregnant with the boys, and then we had newborns. So I thought maybe at some point, like maybe they'll let me graduate, give me my diploma, and then um, like give me a pass on that. Say you'll go later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when they gave me my diploma, they told me, we gave you the cover. You can't have the actual diploma until you complete your mission trip. <laughs> so I almost felt like they tricked me a little they bit. They didn't trick you because from the beginning they told you that was a requirement. Yeah, it was a sign-up. But yeah. <laughs> So I scrambled to find one. I did not want to leave. I mean, I don't want to go to another country. Um, I just, I don't feel like that's, I, don't, I haven't been, I think it's great for people that do that. Anyways, I found one in St. Louis that was uh, actually the Joyce Meyer Ministries. Like she created it, it was this uh, like rescue program right in the heart of St. Louis, downtown, some one of the worst areas where you go and you spend. I think I was gone a week. Yeah, you were gone a week. All right, so you probably remember I was like gone a whole week. You were gone, yeah, a whole week. I think seven days. It was, and honestly, I think so. You, I'm more of like the travel experience person. You are a homebody. Yeah, I didn't want to do it. Oh, I know you didn't want to do it. I did it, and um, <laughs> yeah, but I think it was really good. I mean, you came back with some really neat ideas, and yeah. So basically, they were doing in St. Louis some of the stuff that 
the rescue portion of the foundry was doing in Bessemer. One of them was they had a, a like a grocery store where people came in and did their shopping where they picked out their own food. Like what had been set up at the foundry was that if somebody was struggling, we'd just throw a food box at them. Right. So I think I got to the end of like the last day that I was there and was like, I need to take all this back. Since I'm not doing the reentry, maybe I need to focus on what I already have going on in the outreach center. Yeah, it was kind of neat because it wasn't just like they could go anytime you had to like, Will be a part of a program. I feel like we're using that a lot, but in St. Louis, like yeah. where they had to do a counseling session or do like basically like be proactive to help themselves in other areas. And when they did that, they like they got helped in the food area too. Yeah. So I mean, I it was know, they were trying to help people. Yeah. It's hard to help people, especially in, in really. But it was like trying to help people, but also like make sure they were taking a step as well to help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So after I graduated, went back, um, sat down with um, my direct report and the CEO and was like, I think we need to redesign this whole thing that we do. And that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. So long story short, they let me, they gave me the keys and, you know, changed some staffing, changed some jobs. Because before there was like a rescue director, a food service, there was all these titles and none of the stuff was, nothing was just working. Within the food service program you were working, there was all these titles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ran the food service program, but then there was a director of rescue that did her own thing and it was just always conflict. And, you know, we'd had one, a girl didn't ever come to work and then end up doing her job, but then... You know, let's don't talk about that because then we have to do something about it. It was just this whole... Maybe what you were saying, like you had spent so much time like focused on the reentry program, trying to help in that, that then you kind of realized like, wow, there's a lot of things that could be cleaned up and done better in the food service program where I'm at and I'm actually the director of right now. Yeah. So... So we ended up taking the rescue program, the food service program, stripping that down, um, combining the staff so that there would be one director, it would be me. Um, then I, I was able to have more staff. I added two people. I was able to hire a food service manager, a rescue manager. Um, we came in, tore down some walls, turned in, uh, made a grocery store in the outreach where people could actually come in and go shopping. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd give them shopping buddies. Uh, we wanted them places where they could plug in. So we had a community closet where we got stuff donated that wasn't food related, like shampoo and, you know, clothes, stuff like that. Right. They could work in that. They could help us in the food pantry. And then uh, we took the backyard of the outreach center, which had never been used for anything the whole 25 years that it was there, cut a few trees down, changed some fences around, and turned it into a community garden. That was one of the coolest things, I think. Yeah. I mean, but people from the community could actually be a part of helping pull weeds and help with the garden. Um, I mean, and all that stuff was stuff I learned in Highlands College. You don't give somebody, just give, because then it becomes toxic. You give them, but have them be a part of what they're receiving. Right. So, I mean, that garden produced produce for the program to cook and everything. Yeah, and we gave it away. Which is very was, cool. And then also during that time, you came up with the idea about the culinary program, right? Well, that was at the very end. During that yeah. time, I hired uh, a gal to be the rescue manager she was the first one that ever came up under me before like they did their own thing even though their office was in my building Mm -hmm. but now she worked for me but i was able to hire a food service manager and in the process of all that that was when mr gilbert went to work for clcc so i lost him i don't say i lost him he's my friend 
Always will be. You lost them in the program as working with you, which was yeah. a big loss. And there was a guy that came through the program to the end of 2017. He had been through the program two or three times. Um, very talented guy. Knew a lot about food service. Um, you know, had a college degree. Was very smart. But he always got messed up with drugs. So... The first couple of times he went through the foundry, he'd always find something to do that made him stand out that helped him maybe not do the program, if I'm making any sense. Mm-hmm. You want to ask any questions about that? Just kind of like, because he was doing the food service director job when I was there in 2010, and that was keeping him from doing his program. Well, bottom line, he had been in the program several times, was a very smart guy, was a standout, yeah. hard worker. Mm-hmm. And so always kind of like rose to the front of the pack, even within a drug program. But it always caused him not to be able to get the help he needed because he was fulfilling some kind of job or something. Right. So anyways, they put him over there with me because they, by that time they knew Mr. Gilbert was a hard ass and that I didn't really play those games. Like the foundry, I didn't play the foundry games. Like I don't care what you know to do. As long as you're in the program, you gotta, you know, you gotta do the same thing as everybody else. And, um, the first two or three months that he was there, he hated it. Like he, because there was nothing he could do to get us to like give him favors or anything. And um, he hated Mr. Gilbert. He hated me, but he honestly had messed his life up so much he didn't have anywhere else to go. Like he couldn't go home. He couldn't go to his family. And nobody wanted anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just was kind of forced to like push through. And we had created what I thought was a program with integrity because we didn't care, you know, what he knew how to do. Like, you're going to have to do the same things everybody else, you know, work the same hours, you know, spend your time washing dishes just like everybody else does. Um, changed his life. Like, he, uh, I don't know, it forced him to deal with issues that he wouldn't have dealt with otherwise and that mm-hmm. he'd never had the other Three or four times he'd been through the foundry, and he'd been through other drug programs too. But I mean, by this time he's a, you know, he's like approaching forty years old. He's got a son. He's got a daughter. You know, it's got a lot of stuff going on. He needed to get his life together, and he went through a uh, small group. You know, we did the small groups and stuff there. Um, at Church of the Highlands offered the freedom, mm-hmm. um, and started dealing with his issues. And slowly, he became somebody that. When he came close to graduating, he became like a friend, somebody that I was mentoring, and I really wanted him on my team. Yeah. So it's funny how you hire people at the foundry. You have to play the game because they go to the HR system. But Well, when you say system, they actually have an HR company outside yeah. of the foundry. Yeah. So there's accountability there. So you have yeah. to go through the process. It can't just be like... Well, anybody that understands HR... Yeah. Okay, I know I'm going to have a job come open. Mm-hmm. I know if he's still in the program, he can't have the job. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to have to hire somebody else. If I have to hire somebody else, then I'm going to have to... It's not. It's just right. exhausting. Why can't I just hire who I want? So there was a little finagling on my side. Um, basically, I got them to hold that job until he graduated, and then I got him on, on my team. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be... Yeah, that's what he wanted because he'd been in the restaurant business all his life and it had always been his downfall getting around certain types of people, certain types of alcohol, certain types of drugs. And 
he was excited about doing something different. And by that time, he was like, I wouldn't say he was a, as close to us as he was, as Mr. Gilbert was, but he was right up there with him. I mean. Yeah, I mean, this is where hindsight's twenty twenty, so I can, like, see more clearly now. But at the, because I, I don't know, I never really saw him as, like, in the same category as Mr. Gilbert. Not quite. It'd be hard to get in that category. But, I mean, he came to our Easter. I mean, he came to our house. Yeah, we invited to, him along with some other guys to yeah. come to our Easter. It wasn't just him. It wasn't? No. Okay, my bad. And um, I just know he was around my family a yeah. lot. Our extended family. Yeah. He was getting to know people. He was working with me. He started going to Highlands uh, in Fultondale with me. Got plugged in there. Bottom line, he gained trust with you. Yeah, he became a friend. Yeah. Um, somebody I would call a close friend, mm-hmm. but he always saw me as like a mentor. Mm-hmm. And then, and I was, I was trying to help him through these processes. And, uh, he, uh, I was able to get him on my team, get him on staff. And then, um, I don't know. Remember I, t- I said, I think I got the dream team. <laughs> yeah. I do remember you saying that. It was about that time Micah Andrews called me in, but he had been he had been to other programs in other states where they do similar stuff to what we were doing at the foundry. But there was one that stood out to him where they had actual businesses that they ran that mm-hmm. certified the people in the program to go out and do something else. So there right. was like this, and it was something that could be easily duplicated. In Alabama, if you wanted to. Yeah. One was an auto program. Like, mm-hmm. uh, now, I think it was Napa would come and they did a certification thing. But so we had an auto center where they had to take care of the cars because we had 30, 40 vans and cars and stuff because there's people going everywhere all the time. But then they also used, like, donated cars, fixed them up and sold them at a car lot for a profit. So that was one place that could be one of these training, like, hubs. Another one was... Um, like sales and marketing, you know, we had a thrift store, you know, teaching people how to actually really run a business, like a retail business. And then the third one was a culinary program, but there was no curriculum for the culinary program. There was a, a process already for the Napa Auto Parts for the auto, one for the retail, but there had not been one like put together for the curriculum mm-hmm. for culinary. So he came to me in the beginning of 2019 and was like, he basically said, we could do the stuff at the thrift store. We could do it in the auto center, or we could do this culinary thing. I think your department is the only one that's ready because you've done so many changes recently. Would you be interested in in coming up with you know sitting down and coming up with a curriculum? I remember that excited me more than anything ever because right. we're we're basically going to do like this six month uh, program within a program where they're learning like real hands on. But at the same time, we're supplying the needs that we need is to feed a thousand people a thousand meals a day at the same time. Yeah, and also like help certify them for jobs and yeah. stuff when they got out, so they actually had some kind of like credentials, yeah, credibility to take their next step. Well, I spent three or four months writing out a curriculum, coming up with a program. Um, it was going to be a, there was going to be a serve safe certification. If you're not in the food world, you don't know what that is. But maybe they would leave when they left there. They'd have a serve safe certification. And between myself and Jeremy, the guy that I hired, he knew a lot of restaurant people. Um, we'd come up with partners that were going to let people come in and work with them. They were come, coming and do classes. And I don't know. I got to the end of the summer of 2019. Mama Lou had passed away. It was a hard time. But at the same time at work, it was a very neat time. We had a very busy summer. 
you know, I had this new team. I was looking around. Everything was changed. We had a thriving rescue program. You know, we got a we got a grocery store in the middle mm-hmm. of Bessemer where people could come. Um, you know, I had the food truck going out five days a week into the helping kids. We were doing stuff with with schools. The we community were, garden. The garden. You know, the the closet we had where people could. I don't know. It was just phenomenal. And I thought I can do this. At least another 10 years before we figure out what's next. Well, yeah, because also I think one reason you were in that mindset is because of the curriculum. The curriculum he'd asked you to write yeah. in that program, like that kind of gave you vision for the future. And I think that. It did, but it brought in something that I never knew about before in nonprofits. Grants. Yeah. I didn't know about grants. But then they set me up with the grant writer. And apparently because of what I was doing, um, we qualified for grants for days. We was getting grants for days. Like, they were going to build me a test kitchen. It was like every day it was something else was coming. You know, you get a grant for this. This one's doing this. This one's doing that. Yeah. And really liked the girl that we were, we were writing the grants at the time for the foundry because uh, I'd met with her one time. And I said, whatever you write with my name on it, don't lie. Like, we're not going to be or even do hyperbole about anything I do because the last one... You know, you make up stories and you put it out there. If it's not what I'm doing, I'm not saying yes. I'm going to tell them you're lying. So, um, she, uh, we had to understand it from the beginning. So we worked well, yo. Yeah, it was awesome. So, yeah, so we're ending at a high note and lots of things going on and exciting things. You were plugged in and kind of like got your focus back on. I was excited. But you could have never seen what was coming next. No, not in a million years. That was like a slap <laughs> down to the ground. Wait, time out. I don't think we're going to have time in this episode. No, we're not, but I'm just saying. We'll start that on coming. the next episode. Yeah. So something. A lot of you guys are going to be shocked. Yeah, because that don't We've happen, actually man. never told us public what we're going to tell next. Okay. We haven't? No. We've only told a select few people. Oh, uh, we're about to get public now. Look out. So so if you're listening and this episode made you nervous, be very nervous about the next one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Kind of. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening, as always. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We'll get in touch and consider whether or not it's a good fit. Schedule us for your podcast or to be considered as a guest on our platform. Contact us by heading over to teamjones.co and clicking the Join Forces button. And hey guys, for exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones. Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. 
the Straight Out of Prison podcast, the For Real Real, and There in the Gap. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast. Or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and more. I'll also put all that in the show notes. There's really too much to mention here. Thank you for your support, and thank you for being a part of our story. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. It's written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keeley at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at holland.com. 
hcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing.